Hi, I'm Dr. John Newfelt, and you're watching Truth and Life Today. We're going to talk about whether or not the Church of Jesus Christ should rely on the state in order to do her mission. I know that's a fascinating concept, so you want to stay tuned to this because I suspect there's some disagreement, but the Bible really does have something to teach us. It's important to face these realities because unless we do, we'll never know what to do next. Acts chapter 5 is a marvelous chapter in the Bible because it really does speak about the relationship between the church and the state. Peter and John have been preaching the gospel in Jerusalem, and in consequence, they've been arrested and they appear before what was then not just the religious body, but also the governing political body. So Acts chapter 5, verse 27 says, And they had brought them, that is, the council brought uh, Peter and John uh, before them and set them before them. And the high priest um, questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood, that is, Christ's blood, upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Let me stop here for a moment, because if you think about the totality of what the Bible teaches, Romans chapter 13 tells us to be um, subject to the governing authorities. A Christian's view that the, the people that make up our government as having been appointed by God to do God's will. It is the natural bent of all Christians to want to support the governing authorities, to pray for governing authorities, and to prove ourselves obedient and subject to the governing authorities. But every once in a while, the governing authorities may give a command to the church in which we simply say, as a matter of fact, there's this hierarchy. God comes first and the governing authorities come second. So should the governing authorities require of us something that God demands we do not do? we will simply say no in the name of Jesus. Well, that says a whole awful lot because what we're talking about today is this relationship between the government of the state, especially when it comes to receiving government money. And some of you know the history of the church know this, that there were times in church history when church and government were allied together. Whenever a church was planted, it was because the government gave the money to do so. And whenever a bishop was put up over the church, it was because the government allowed it to happen. During those days, the gospel died. No one was hearing the good saving news of Jesus. Indeed, it was about political power and authority. Well, how does that relate to today? Well, it has a lot to do, especially when we give money uh, to institutions that serve and care for the poor. Should we care whether or not that institution that we give to is also receiving government money? Does it matter at all? We're going to talk to a man by the name of Barry Sloan White. And Barry's been the head of Compassion Canada for 36 years. Uh, he's a pastor, um, and he's also an ordained minister. But Barry has given himself to a project that you might want to hear about. What he has to say may make you think a great deal. Barry Sloan White, welcome to Truth and Life. What a joy to have you. Good to be here. Yes, Good to thank be here, you, John. thank you. I, I want to talk with you today about the many years that you served as the director of uh, Compassion Canada. 
And there is a story that I'd like you to tell. Very early on, uh, you became the director of Compassion Canada, and there was a relationship that you had to the government. And I want you to talk about why you felt that you wanted to end that relationship. Mm. Well, that, that's a that's a heartwarming story, and one that I I don't talk about a lot for fear of being misunderstood. Uh-huh. Because when you're in when you're in the charitable sector, uh, it's not wise to say no to money, <laughs> right? Uh, because you need it to pay your bills. But as I stepped into the role of president and CEO in 1993, I went to the Lord and I asked God to show me His plan. Uh, I I just felt in my heart that I need to understand where God is taking this ministry, and and I ask him to help equip me to lead it in his direction, not mine. I had ideas. I have things, you know, you, you want to do. You have strategies and goals. The Lord spoke to me on, uh, at several levels, but one particular and probably the hardest one for me to, uh, to really grasp. And God, in no uncertain terms, said, I want you to take Compassion Canada away from government funding, the dependence on government funding. So let's just stop there because we need to know in order to understand that, how much government funding did you get? We were about 21% of our total revenue. So you're getting very close to one quarter of all your ministry funding dependent upon the government. Now, Barry, let's just, before we go further, I need to ask you, you got a problem with the government? (laughs) (laughs) No, and you know, that was so normal. In fact... Compassion was one of the lowest on the list. I see. There were many ministries, NGOs in, in our sector, that were upwards of 40, even some more than 50% government funding. So when God said that to me, I, I, did, I did quiz him, like, what, what's the big deal? But he made it very clear to me that because of the spiritual nature of Compassion's ministry, it must be funded by Christians. Now, then, just to again, when we say the spiritual nature of compassion, I think now is appropriate time to say, what is the uniqueness of compassion? We'll get back to the government money in just a while. Yeah, yeah. There's something unique about how you see a ministry to the poor. So let's sure. So in, in, compassion is, is very unique in that, as to my knowledge, we're the only child sponsorship organization in the world that has evangelism and discipleship as our core strategy, not community development. So it makes us quite unique. And so as that plays itself out, we only partner with local evangelical churches around the world. So you're concerned with the poor and you haven't abandoned all of the social needs that the poor need, but you continue to hold the gospel as central. Absolutely. So we look at the life of Christ as our model. So Jesus had the largest feeding program in his in the world in his day, yeah. right? You know, you know that one. Jesus was the most renowned teacher. People walked for days to hear him give a speech. Jesus was and still is the best medical doctor known in history. No other medical doctor brings people back from the dead. So Touches their eyes and they're immediately seeing, yes? He did all of these social gospel things, but that was not 
his incarnational purpose. That's not why he came to earth. If you look in Luke, he makes it very clear that he came to bring the good news of the gospel, Luke 4.18, right? So we don't abandon those. We are one of the, we're probably the second largest water NGO in the country of Uganda, but that's not what we do. That's not why we're here. Why do we do that? Why did Jesus feed the 5,000? Because they were hungry, we do water because it's a real problem. Yeah. There's a need for water. So what we, what we do is we bring together the gospel and the acts of love. So it's proclamation plus demonstration equals lives changed. Which is a genuinely full gospel. That is the, the biblical gospel. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. So this is the calling that God has given the ministry. But if you are 21%, you had said, let's yeah. get back to the government mm. money. <laughs> you saw that was problematic. Yeah, because money from governments, and, and bless their hearts, <laughs> governments try to do what's right sometimes. Sure. But it has so many strings attached. I mean, when you get deep into, into the international aid world, you find... Governments, even our Canadian government, will give grants to governments overseas, but they have to hire Canadian workers. They have to buy Canadian vehicles. You know all of that. So there's one finger pointing to help and three fingers coming back. So it's 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 common. It's 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 well received, well understood. In our world, in the Christian evangelical child evangelism and discipleship world, the free government money was easy money. Because we were having such an impact on the communities, the government was offering us consistently more money because we were, we were making the dollar go much further because the local church at the field level was taking that money, adding hundreds of volunteers to it, and doing more. But the demands, we can't use it for what they would say proselytizing. We can't, we can't uh, involve the gospel message. We, you know, and, and all of these restrictions... And it tied our hands so that what God called us to do, we were, we were looking for creative ways around that so we could qualify for the money. Once you take government money, you're, you're basically you're tied to that umbilical cord because next year, now you've, you've put in all the infrastructure, you need the next grant to continue on. Yes. So you're caught in that syndrome. And so God said to me, in order for compassion to remain Christ-centered, evangelistically focused, discipleship focused, I need you to move compassion away from that umbilical cord and plug into my umbilical cord, the local church. So you're hearing God himself speaking to I, you. I am hearing him so clear, but, but here's the frightful part. God actually put a timeline on that. Now, this is where it gets very interesting. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying to God, okay, this is, this is making, you're making me perspire here. You're making me worry, but it's doable. And I'm thinking it's doable over, I don't know, five, ten years, maybe, maybe. Because we, at that point, we had no major donor structure. We had no way of replacing that money. Right. So God says, three years. And I'm going, what? That's impossible. Yeah. God said, three years, trust me. So 
I pulled together my team. I pulled together my Africa director from Nairobi in. We sat together and we closed doors for days. And I gave them the ultimatum that I heard from God. And they all had the same reaction. What? That's impossible, Barry. That's impossible. But here's, here's how God, and you, you know, this is not going to be a surprise to most listeners. Right? Fast forward. So we put things in place. We made our, our announcements because we had forward commitments. We had some grants from the government that were two years left in them. We had to finish those. We had commitments made to communities and, and water programs. Almost three years to the month, the Canadian government, CEDA, froze all money going to NGOs. Wow. It almost created some NGOs in a place of bankruptcy. There were many, some that were high, higher percentage funding. By that point in time, we had developed a major donor stream to replace almost all of that government money. We were not impacted negatively at all. See, this is significant. And we're going to come back in just a little while. We'll talk about this some more. But Barry, one thing I know that you're not saying, you're not saying that in some way that Christian organizations dishonor government. No. You know, Christ has called us to honor our government. We continue to speak well of them and support them when we can. But at the same time, there has to be a freedom and a reliance on Christ and I think you exemplify that. And that's what I want to explore with you as we go on. What was the practical impact after you came off government money? How is Compassion Canada become different because of that? And what hope should we take as believers as we trust in the Lord? So we're going to be right back with Barry Sloanway. It's important to face these realities because unless we do, we'll never know what to do next. I'm back with Barry Sloanwhite. And Barry, we, we started a very fascinating story. Compassion Canada, sensing the need to always keep the gospel central in everything that you did and recognizing also that you are caring for the needs of the poor. Um, somehow I decided that within three years... You sense God speaking to you. You told your team three years. They were shocked. Um, they somehow grabbed a hold of that, I think. They did. They did an amazing job because we, we left those days of meetings with a real sense in our heart. God is driving us. God is directing us. Wow. So that knowledge helped us increase our faith. We didn't know how. We had no strategy. We didn't know how. How do you do this? How do you take an organization uh, like Compassion that's so become so dependent on government money? How do you take that away from that dependency and replace it? And as you said, it, it's, not, it's not that government money is bad. God bless organizations that can can use it and multiply it. In our case, it would be like a church. So compassion is more like a church than an NGO. Very good. Right? We're about bringing the gospel to the lost, specifically children. Right, because you work also with, on the ground, yeah. in the various countries where you work, you work with local churches. Exclusively with exclusively local churches. Exclusively through yeah. local churches. So, so imagine a church 
in Canada getting government funding to help run its, its programs. And then imagine that government funding having the strings attached that you can't have a Bible study, you can't do this, you can't do that. And imagine not just the government funding, but imagine secular funding from any, any sure. uh, revenue stream, uh, organizations, businesses, whatever. And imagine them saying to you, we'll give you this money, but we'd like to have someone on your board. Right, so you you can paint the picture of where you would end end up, and that that was happening to us. We were being restricted by this good money. We were being restricted in the gospel. Right, right. If the gospel were not our major focus, our only focus, really, if that wasn't the case, this money would have been such. And so, just to be clear, in case we have you know listeners that are watching us right now, and they're saying, when he says the gospel. I think, Barry, you're, you're saying Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins so that you, by faith in him, might have an opportunity to receive new life, forgiveness before God, and the life of eternity placed in your heart. Those, that's the message you wanted to make sure. That's it, loud and clear. And, and here's the reality. All of our efforts, all of our good efforts to help the poor really fall short if that individual, and in our case, that child, if they are not released from spiritual poverty. Right. Because all of our efforts, if you analyze it, are really treating symptoms. We're putting Band-Aids, we're putting water. Water is a symptom of poverty. Water is not the source of poverty. Healthcare is a symptom, you know, uh, the need for healthcare. Education, uh, clothing, uh, all, of, all of these things, infrastructure. All of those are symptoms of poverty. They need to be dealt with like Jesus did when he fed the, the thousands. But that is not what Jesus gave his life to do. Jesus fed them because the symptoms of poverty caused them to be hungry. His intention was like the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, I'm going to give you water that you will never have to be thirsty and in need again. So his intention was to bring a holistic gospel so that the child, the parents, the family, the community find eternal life in Jesus. You are not released from poverty if you do not find Jesus Christ as your savior. Right. Your life's made better, you might be more comfortable, but eternally you are still destined after you came off of government money, hmm. first of all, I want to ask, did it leave a deficit in your budget? Were you unable to do some of the things you were able to do before? Um, it didn't leave a deficit, but it did cause us to make different choices. So the, the, the system in place to build programs and plans changed. Um, we're, now, we're now not having to look how do we work outside the church right. to get this done, like, like kind of a stealth approach? Now we're looking at the local churches that we partner with uh, around the world, and we're saying right up front, how can we turn this well into a spiritual exercise? So let's put the well at the church property. 
for the community. Let's have people from the community come to this scary place called the church, yeah. right? Let's have them encounter Christians who are there greeting them and loving them and building relationships. How can we have, how can we have the, the veterinarian training program for the, the families in the village who raise whatever animals? And how can we have that at the church property? Right. Right. And, and building relationships. So you empowered local churches all over the world. Oh, yes. Oh, to, yes. You know, to be holistic in their approach, to continue to put the gospel at the center and yet to care for all the needs that were there. Is it right to say, Barry, that after you had come off of government funds, that you felt a freedom to do that in a way that you had not felt? Absolutely. Before? No question. And we saw God bless. Huh. We saw God's hand at work that no one, no one during that three-year interval of the changeover, no one would have imagined that we could get that much accomplished without government funding. We actually doubled and tripled our impact, and it has never stopped since then. That was 1996 that we ended government funding. Uh-huh. And again, the dependency on government funding. Like I said, we had some forward commitments we had to finish out. Correct. But we turned down government funding, and uh, and and God honors. You know, God honors. It's like, you know, I was a pastor before I came to Compassion, and and I would teach on tithing, right? And and sometimes I'd have conversations with you know a person in the church. How can I afford to tithe? And I would challenge them that it's a biblical concept. They would tithe. They would come back later with testimonies of how God blessed. It's the same thing. It's the same principle. We just, we just decided that we were going to honor God, not just in what we do, but the money we receive to finance that. And God, God just multiplies. See, the money, I think, is just a symptom of everything else in life that we entrust wholly to the work of God. Yeah. And if we are willing to trust him in these small things. And, you know, money is, I think we would agree, money is but a small thing. It is. It's a tool. It's That's a tool. That's all it is. It's a tool. Yeah. And so it's a, you know, God is saying, will you trust me in this? And if you entrust me in this. So it seems to me that you are now a debtor no longer to the government, but you are a debtor still to the Lord God who has provided all things for you. Amen. And, you know, it, it's not to say we would never consider government funding. But do you have strictures around that when you say that, oh, yes. there are conditions where you might? And what would those be? Well, those, they would have to relinquish their conditions, uh-huh. right, before. Because as I said to you, we are constantly uh, offered money because we, we have such a great structure around the world with the local churches and the communities. We're able to accomplish so much with $1. Uh, and that's not lost, right? right? But um, our, our systems we put in place to guard ourselves is we will not accept money that causes these restrictions. So now I'm going to take this one step further, and then let's speak to people who are giving. Now, I, I'm a believer in, you know, in everything that you've done. Compassion Canada is a worthwhile place to give. There are others as well. We know that. But can you give some direction to people as they're saying, you know, I want to give to some charitable organization that cares for the poor. Is there something that you can say to those people? Well, actually, I wrote a book on that. Yes. Called Strategic Compassion. And, and 
what, what I what I outline in the book is we, by nature, especially Canadian Christians, but Canadians in general, we're generous people, right? right? We we have lots. God has blessed us. We're a prosperous people, and we want to help. What I have seen over the years is that we are we become less and less strategic in how we help. That's why the title of my book is Strategic Compassion, Strategic Love, Strategic Giving, right? right? I want to encourage Christians to be a little more directive in how they give. Do your homework. Give. Give more than you're giving. You're never going to become poor by giving. Amen. Right? Give more than you're giving, but give it with a kingdom purpose. Barry, thank you so much for that because I think all of us need to reevaluate how we give and where we give and to do it for the glory of God, placing the gospel at the center of our giving. Uh, Barry Sloan White, what a joy to have you on Truth and Life. Thank you for that ministry, and thank you for sharing us some of the principles that involve our uh, obligation to give as well. May the Lord bless you. Amen. It's been a delight to have this conversation with Barry Sloan White, and I hope it's made you think. You know, it's important for every Christian when we think about what God wants us to do in the present hour, also to think about the global Christian church and to think about the poor. God has called us to preach the gospel to the poor. He's also called us to be holistic. We're to preach the whole gospel. That is, we minister to someone's greatest need, and that need is the need for salvation. If we give a poor person enough so that they can eat for the day or even eat for a lifetime and yet neglect the greatest need that they have, we're not doing the work of Christ. What should we say on the final day when we stand before the Lord and we say, you know, you fed the poor, but you never shared the good news of Jesus? Of course, that's the issue. But also we have another issue, and that is how are we to do this as freely as possible? You know, Barry's comments about coming off government funding and being wholly reliant on the Lord and on the the generosity of God's people should make all of us pause and think. How can we be most free to do what Christ demands us to do? You know, if the government says, we're going to allow you to do whatever you want, there will be no strings attached, you know, we may want to go in that direction. But what should we do when there are strings attached? Or when we give to an organization, should we ask, what does the government demand of you? And what are you doing on the ground? I think that's a part of the basic Christian question of our response to the poor. Thanks for being a part of this program. Thanks for joining us in a genuine Christian conversation about what God wants us to do in this hour. Thank you for being faithful to the Lord. Thank you for being a part of this. Uh, Thanks for joining us today, and please make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more interviews, episodes, and Bible teaching content. Uh, Thanks for joining us today.